You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Well, happy Thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but when this holiday rolls around, it's not my favorite holiday. It's a, it's a good one, but it's, uh, it's not my favorite. I like steaks well done, as uh, Wesley said and alluded to last week. I'm not a big fan of turkey. What are you all ooing about? I mean, sheesh. Uh, I'm not a big fan of turkey. It just kind of tastes like a, a big wad of uh, protein in my mouth. Um, anyways, like a lot of you, on Thanksgiving in groups, uh, even this morning, Nate asked me, what are you thankful for? And usually the answers aren't super in-depth, especially if you're in larger groups, the answers typically start to repeat each other. I'm thankful for the growth of the church. I'm thankful for good health. I'm thankful for the fact that I don't have to fly to Buffalo tomorrow. I'm thankful for my next-door neighbor. I'm thankful for my wife, and so forth. But some of us struggle to be thankful for things this season because what we don't have eats us up this year. And others of us feel too busy to be thankful, and we struggle with how arrogant we'd sound if we shared our truth. What are you thankful for? Well, I'm thankful for how hard I worked this year, how much I persevered, all my hard work this year. What did you do, champ? (laughs) Sometimes it's hard to be thankful, and sometimes it's easy to be discouraged. But this morning we'll be reminded of some rock-solid truths that we can be thankful for. Truths that can motivate us, truths that are bigger than us, higher than us, and unchanging even as our circumstances change. We'll hear Paul, this great missionary, who's in prison. He's not experiencing good circumstances. He's realizing that other Christians are disappointed Other Christians are discouraged in their faith because of his circumstances. They're saying, if you're really a servant of God, if God is really so good, why are you in so much trouble? Why why are all these bad things happening to you? Yet when he's in prison, what we'll find when he's writing this, there's no smell of prison in what he's saying. There's no prison chains to be heard. Paul's not bound in his spirit. He's not doubting God. He's not lost faith in the great goodness of God because of his circumstances. He's not pressed down. He's not destroyed. No, he's overflowing with gratitude. He's captivated. He's captured by rock-solid truths about God that are anchoring him in a joy. And we'll see this morning that as he shares these rock-solid truths, he wants to make sure that there's no doubt in their minds about the goodness of God, about the love of God, that there's no second-guessing regarding the truthfulness of God, that there's total confidence, even in tough circumstances, that knowing Jesus and being part of His church is the greatest gift one could ever have, which means this morning, no matter what your circumstances are, 
or the injustices or the imperfections of the church or negative experiences you've had with Christians or the fact that you may be still waiting on things in life or that you've quietly suffered this year, in Christ this morning we have an amazing truth. Truth that no matter the circumstances remains true. Truth that is unchanging. Said another way, we have rock-solid truths to be thankful for this morning. Which really leads us to the main idea of this morning, which will be up on the screen, and it's this. We have much to be thankful for in Jesus Christ. We have much to be thankful for in Jesus Christ. Now my outline is also going to be up on the screen, and it's going to highlight the two rock-solid truths in this passage that can be helpful to us to be thankful this season. Motivated this season, no matter what our circumstances are. Number one, the wonder of grace. And number two, the brilliance of the the church. Each of these things are things that Paul talks about that produce in him a gratefulness, a joy, and an it's-all-worth-it mentality despite his trials. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, perhaps today, or you've been in and out, we've been in a series in the book of Ephesians. Paul's spent the last few weeks explaining the gospel, and he's done it with a lot of excitement. In chapter 1, he said, God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. In chapter 2, a few weeks ago, he said that we were saved by sheer grace, by Christ alone, through faith alone, all for the glory of God alone. And then last week, at the end of chapter 2, he tells us that God brought us into a household, a spiritual family, not a geopolitical nation. It's not citizenship in Israel that counts, but it's citizenship in Christ and His church that counts. Basically, he's been telling us that the gospel changes everything. It impacts our relationships. It impacts our marriages, our work ethic, our understanding of the spiritual world. It changes everything. It changes everything because it gives you forgiveness. It changes everything because it reconciles you to God. You get His Spirit, and it begins to fix you and change you and repair you. It's really good. But now we pick up in chapter 3, verse 1. And because of all of these truths about the Gospel that he's talked about in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's about to launch into a fiery prayer. Maybe here at King's Church, we would say he's about to go Pentecostal. The Gospel changes everything. But something happens. He won't get to the prayer till next week. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, that is the Gospel, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. M- Notice he uses this phrase, prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And when he uses that, it causes him to digress. It causes him to stop. Thoughts begin to rush into his mind. In all actuality, Paul is a prisoner of Rome. He's in trouble because as good as the Gospel is, not everybody likes the message. Not everybody thinks that they need fixing. Paul's not been coarse. He's not been mean. He's not been obnoxious on social media, but he's in trouble because of the message and the implications of the message. But notice here and elsewhere in the Bible, he'll never say he's a prisoner of Rome. 
He won't say he's a prisoner of this person or that person. He says here, I'm really not your prisoner. You have me in jail, but you really don't have me in jail. You can kill me, but you can't hurt me. Now, why does he have this attitude? Where does it all come from? Well, Paul sees the bigger picture. And this morning, he wants us to see that bigger picture. That bigger picture is that God is bigger than all of our circumstances. His mission and His work in the world is worth it. And there's a joy in Him that goes beyond any trial we could be facing. Even though His circumstances aren't great, He's holding on to these rock-solid truths. He's grateful, and what we notice is His attitude is amazing. And He wants us this morning, no matter what our circumstances are, to hold on to these rock-solid truths and to be grateful for eternal truths, for transcendent truths. Which really leads us to our first point this morning, the wonder of grace. So Paul begins this digression, this sidebar, by retelling his story, by retelling his calling. And what we see is that his story is a story of grace. It's a story of grace because according to Paul, the mystery of God the mystery of Christ has been revealed to him. Verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. That is, it being revealed. Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ and his job. Verses 8 and 9, I preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now, when we hear that English word mystery, it's actually the exact opposite of what Paul is trying to say here. In English, mystery is something that you and I have to work hard to try to figure out. Think CSI, or Sherlock, or Law and Order, or the King's Church event that shall not be named. It's up to you to solve the riddle. But the Greek word here for mystery means just the opposite. It's not something you and I have to work hard to figure out. No, instead it means something revealed by God because we would never discover it on our own. Why? Because it's so counterintuitive. You'd never come up with it by the process of reason alone. So said another way, a mystery is something so different than anything you or I could have ever imagined. It's a wonder. It goes against anything that we could have ever guessed. Now, we may ask this morning, what is this mystery? It's this word that appears most prominently in this digression. What is this mystery? Well, whenever Paul uses that word, it's used interchangeably here with two other words. And those words are gospel, which shows up twice, and grace, which shows up three times. To cut to the chase, the mystery here is the gospel of grace. Your salvation by grace grace. A grace that welcomes all and that can save all. That's the mystery. Grace is a mystery. The gospel is a mystery because it's counterintuitive. You never come up with it by the process of reason. Said another way, the gospel is something so different than anything we could have ever imagined. The gospel is a wonder. 
It goes against anything we could have guessed. In the Bible, for instance, the Ten Commandments are never called a mystery. The ethics of Jesus are never called a mystery in the Bible. The Golden Rule is never called a mystery in the Bible. The Gospel isn't that if we obey the Ten Commandments, if we follow the ethics of Jesus, and we follow the Golden Rule, that God will bless us and save us and bring us to heaven. That's not the Gospel. Do you know why? Well, that makes too much sense. It's common sense. That's how everything else in life works. You work hard, you'll be rewarded. If you're lazy, you'll suffer. If you mess up, you'll lose the opportunity. If you perform, you'll be blessed. The Ten Commandments, the ethics of Jesus, the Golden Rule, and really every other religious code out there have never been called mysteries. They're not mysteries because they're common sense. Follow them and hopefully you'll be good. But the Gospel, notice this morning, is something so different. The Gospel is grace. It's that the Son of God came to earth and through His weakness, through His pain, He won by losing. He gained everything by giving it all away. And He overcame our sin by taking it on Himself and dying in our place. Which means, as we often say, to be a Christian, all you need is need. We need to be humble enough to realize that our righteousness or our performance or our good works will never merit us an audience with God. The gap is too wide. And because of the compassion of God, because of the grace of God, by the sheer grace of God, it's Him, it's through Him, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what that means is that to stay a Christian this morning, all you need is need. We need to be humble enough to realize that our strength, our ability to follow hard after Jesus Christ, to do what we need to do in this life, it all comes from Him by the strength of His Spirit through our continued faith in the grace of God. So he starts this digression here by saying, don't be discouraged. He says, knowing God through grace and helping others to know God in His grace is priceless. He says, remember this rock-solid truth. And likewise, it's the same for us this morning. If you're in Christ, your circumstances do not change the grace of God. His grace is always with you. Through the good times, and through the bad times. He is working out all things for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. The passage continues and we see another rock-solid truth that Paul says can help us the brilliance of the church. Chapter 3, verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our 
Lord. So Paul says here that the grace of God changed his life. And that grace gave him a mission in his life. He's a missionary. He's a preacher now. His goal in life is verse 8 and 9, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the grace of God. Why? Why is that his goal? Well, verse 10 tells us, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, he says, God has a plan. There's a bigger picture. God wants to show off his grace through the church. He wants to showcase his manifold wisdom. That means his brilliance. He wants to put on display his brilliant grace and redemption and mercy through the church to every seen and unseen thing out there. This is all according to God's eternal plan, verse 11. Now, what is that eternal plan in particular? Well, essentially in Ephesians, I'm glad you asked, Paul says history is going somewhere. But God has a plan. God has an eternal plan. Well, where's history going? Well, everything in life is falling apart. It's the second law of thermodynamics. That law is that all things go more and more to disorder because everything is running down. The universe is running down. Everything's eventually falling apart. If you think you're starting a family, eventually that family is going to fall apart. People will pass. People may move away. People will fight and stop talking. If you think you're going to try to start an institution and get it going and build it up real nice, well, eventually it's going to fall apart. If you're baking a turkey, eventually you better eat that turkey because if it sits out too long, it'll rot. It'll fall apart. Everything is running down. Everything's eventually falling apart. Paul says that this is because when our relationship with God fell apart, every other relationship fell apart. Even our relationship with ourselves fell apart. We say, who am I? I'm trying to understand my emotions. Our world is marked by fighting, fighting between the races, the nations, the classes, and there's evil and aging and dying. All of it, it's running down. That is where history is going. It's the obvious truth. It's the obvious truth this morning. But Paul comes on the scene and he says that the plan of God is that one day, someday, God is going to bring things back together again. In Christ, He will make all things new. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more disconnect. It will all be made new. That's the plan of God. And the whole Bible is about it. But we might ask, how is the world ever going to see that this is God's plan, that this is God's purpose? How is the world ever going to see what God is trying to do in the world through Jesus? Well, this verse marvelously tells us in a very interesting way in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. What he's saying is pretty wild here. He's saying that it's the community, not any one particular individual. 
It's the community of the church through healed relationships that the world can most clearly see the amazing future that God is preparing. Paul says the gospel brings together Jew and Gentile in the church. The gospel, he says, brings down a division that could never be broken down by anything else. That means he's saying that in the church there can be a unity around the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that no other ideology or program or hobby could ever create. And in the coming weeks, what we'll see Paul saying is that the church, through the gospel, can be a new society. Not just a fellowship, but a new society in which the world, seen and unseen, can look into the church and see what family life and business and economic practices, what all of life will begin to look like under the healing hand of Jesus Christ. He says that kind of healing, that kind of unity is only a foretaste, a preview of a coming time when all things find unity, when things are no longer falling apart, when people aren't at each other's throats anymore. And it's the church, Paul says, that's supposed to show people a taste of what that's going to be. What that means this morning is that if you're in Christ this morning, we need you to be part of the church. We need you to be part of the church. This one or another faithful local church in this area, we need you to be part of the church. 81% of Americans say to pollsters, you can be a good Christian and be, not be part of a church. You can be a good Christian and not be part of a church. But Paul has no idea in the world what they're talking about. Paul is saying here, for the world to understand the brilliance of the grace of God, we need churches. And we need Christians to be part of those churches, working together, showing that their relationships through their community, that they can model something different. Now, he's not naive. He knows all churches are imperfect. Look at the letter to the Corinthians. Look at the letter to the Colossians. He knows that Christians are imperfect. Because the gospel is true, we can own that this morning. But yet he still says that the church is indispensable. Because even in their flaws, when it's a real church with real people, it shows the world the brilliance of the gospel. Jesus says, the world will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. The world will know you're my disciples by your healed relationships with one another. By the way, you reconcile to one another based on the grace of God that is rich and free in your life. As Paul ends this little digression here, he says in verse 13 this, So I ask you not to lose heart, over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. In other words, he says, don't be discouraged. Knowing God through grace and helping others to know God by grace is priceless. He says, remember these rock-solid truths. He sees the bigger picture. And through his, though his circumstances aren't great, he's holding on to these rock-solid truths. He's grateful, and his attitude is amazing. Over the last few weeks, I remember having conversations with two people about the recent political races. They both were hoping for some different results and how things ended up, and one of them had prepared really 
particularly hard for a person to win. They really, really wanted it. It was really, really important to this person, and they really wanted a role with this individual had they won. Uh, but the other one was hoping also for a good result. But they weren't really sure they wanted to end up in politics in the, in the long run. The season, this season, particularly for this individual, was more like, I'm young, so who knows, maybe I can start a career in this, maybe not. They both worked really hard, but both of their people lost. Now, the first one was very devastated, but the other one just shrugged it off. The first one who had hoped for this, who had truly invested in it, who really wanted it, who saw their future in it, was absolutely devastated, but the other one just kind of shrugged it off. Now, why is that? Well, when Jesus Christ says, where your treasure, where your treasure is, there is your heart, he means it. Where your treasure is, there is your heart. He means it. What does he mean by that? He means that everybody invests in something that says, this is what I really am. This is what I'm really all about. This is really where I get my meaning. This is what's important to me. This is my real hope. This is my identity. Everybody sticks their treasure into something. Everybody invests their heart in something. And what happened was that loss touched that first person's treasure. That's what they really wanted in life, and as a result, they were devastated. Do you know what Paul is saying here in this passage? How is he not devastated? How is he so encouraged? How is he the happiest man in Rome, yet he's in prison? Why is he so grateful? Well, what's Paul's treasure? Well, it's in verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Paul says to be loved by God and to be known by God is my treasure. And to have other people experience the gospel, the grace of God, is my treasure. That means that nobody can touch His treasure. And the good news of the gospel this morning is that you can make this move this morning. You can make Jesus Christ your treasure. You can put your heart in Him. That will make you invulnerable. It'll make you invincible because nobody can touch that treasure. Your life will be hidden in Christ and God. And when Christ appears who is your life, you will appear with Him and glory. That certainly doesn't mean we won't weep. It doesn't mean you won't feel pain. It doesn't mean you won't feel sorrow over important things not going the way you wanted. But if you put your heart in Him, it means that nothing can devastate you. You have so much to be thankful for in Christ. His grace. His people. His steadfast love that never comes to an end. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.